Blog Talk Radio. I'm a truth terrorist. I'm a knowledge gangster. I'm a black history hitman. I'm a live killer urban gorilla. I gotta be a roughneck. Free the Black Panthers. FCBP. Stand for Free the Black Panthers. If up the black police. That 13th Amendment. Trying to make a slave of me. You can like my body, can't trap my mind, not to ever be free. Okay, free the Black Panthers, FCBP, stand for free the Black Panthers, and fuck the black police. Feds infiltrated our movements for black leadership roles, but we still here, in the bill here, of Cointel Pro. Show, they got me started, lying hearted, I'm the new Mufasa. And I'm all about Umoja, first in Guzu Saba. Let's bring back the black families, we need our father. Single mama, son and daughter, that's root of the problem. Wise up, we wise up. Unity is so powerful. Black banks, black schools, black on black power moves. You tell a lie, you think this shit won't be televised. Black power, be scared guys, that be standing there like they paralyzed. Ha. We say fuck the system, cause we above the system. We keep ARs and pistols, shotguns that's worth the crystal. But that's for self-defense, make sure we have no issues. Be sure to leave it at the door if you have it with you. This for them freedom fighters that lost their freedom. Until they freedom, we screaming carpe diem. This for the general. King Khalid Muhammad, we gon' make your day a holiday. I fuck me promise. Free the Black Panthers, FCBP, stand for free the Black Panthers. If up the Black Police, that 13th Amendment, tryna make a slave of me. You can like my body, can't trap my mind, not to ever be free. Okay, free the Black Panthers, FCBP, stand for free the Black Panthers. If up the Black Police. Feds infiltrated our movements for black leadership roles, but we still here in the bill here of Cointel Pro. RBG, 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 RBG. My sisters, my brothers, the council, the elders, that's really all I need. We suited, we booted, don't do it, you stupid, we head to the armory. Black women and goddess, regardless, my heart just don't fuck with misogyny, foolish that don't tolerate it. Melanated, so you gotta hate it. But rock up up another conversation. Trump finna get inaugurated, damn. Unify or die, nbpp.org. First and foremost, the new Black Panther Party, no, no other Black Panther Party, we're not violent. We are for self-defense and self-determination. And the most violent group in this country are the police. What is taking place by the police departments to black people across this country is ethnic cleansing and genocide. It has escalated since the day that Barack Obama was inaugurated in 2008. We have a, 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 a people who are only 13% of the population, yet we make up 80% of the prisons. We have 50% unemployment rate in the black community, and it's actually even more than that because they're not counting our people that are in the prisons. The 13th Amendment said you could not be made a slave or indigenous servant unless you commit a crime. The 14th Amendment forced our people to be subjects of this government. We never had any say in that. We need our own nation. Start off with our brothers and sisters um, with libation. Um, we have a very 
a stacked lineup today. Our first speaker is scheduled to come on in 40, 36 minutes. Um, but before that, we wanted to open up with libation. So the libation uh, is supposed to be done by Brother Jamoke. And so I would expect him to be getting on in the next six minutes. Um, we also, uh, from there, we we were able to, uh, thanks to Brother Jai Lukeman, uh, he was able to get our brother Sipaway uh, to come on uh, to give us some words from the motherland. Um, so he wasn't initially scheduled to speak, but we're going to give him a few moments uh, immediately after Jamoke does the libation. After Jamoke does his libation, then we will hear from Brother Kofi Tahaka of the Black United Front. And then, of course, we'll have our brother right here, Baba James Rogers, uh, coming on board. So we're going to get this show on the road. Just like this backlight, we need, probably need to put it down on the ground. It's, it's giving me a lens flare. We're still trying to get our set together here. We'll probably just put it on the floor. It'll give me some backlight. That's all I needed was the backlight. Is that better? Yeah, that seems a little bit better. Okay, I was just concerned because I did uh, 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 send a text to Lady Nelson, who's in, in Ghana right now, and I uh, wanted to make sure she can tune in with the link that you sent us. She she texted me and said it, it says, uh, you know, uh, the host is waiting or something like that. So, no, I'm here now. The host is not waiting anymore. So she should be able to tap in. Then. Is she on the YouTube channel or the Zoom? YouTube. Yeah, again, we would not be on YouTube right now. We do not have the link for YouTube. So, unfortunately, we're trying to get the YouTube connected, but it's not working. So okay, right now, we're going to we're gonna, we're gonna uh, get the word out as best we can. If folks need to tap into that Zoom link. Okay. I'll tap into you. the Zoom link because the YouTube cross-stream... We were not able to make that happen. Uh, we've been trying uh, over here. Maybe we can get somebody that can call in that's a bit more familiar. Um, we've done a, a couple of attempted dry runs, and for some reason we must be missing a beat. So okay. we, did, we didn't want to further delay the program. Uh, so with that being said, we want to go ahead and get the show going. Uh, do, do you Did you hear anywhere from Jim okay? Any checks from anybody? Okay. I would believe the brothers should be coming on hopefully in the next three minutes. Uh, we will start off with libation. Um, for those of you who are tuning in, I am Sister Crystal Muhammad, uh, representing the New Black Panther Party for self-defense uh, as the national chair. You can contact us at nbpp.org. That's nbpp.org. Now, although we are not um, at this moment going live on YouTube, Although we're attempting to get that straight, but once we get that straight, uh, we will, um, folks will be able to access it. But as a backup, we will definitely take this recording and then um, upload it to YouTube. Although, but hopefully we're able to, at some point, we got 12 hours of, of broadcast. We're not going to give up until we get this live on YouTube. So in the meantime, in between time, this, this Zoom, this Zoom link uh, is going to be the best way to, for folks to access us. Now we have, uh, I guess we should go ahead since we got some time. We'll have brother, 
Lukeman, I see you're on. Brother Yukmon, did you want to say something while we have you on here? Brother Lukeman. Okay. Can you hear me, brother? All right, brothers and sisters. We're not going to just sit, sit here. Can, is that you, Brother Lukeman? Can you hear me? Did you want to say something while you have an opportunity? You got to take your phone off of mute while we're waiting on Brother Jamoke to get on. Free to land. Free to land, brother. Yeah, uh, I see that we got just a few people right here, and I'm uh, happy to see that we do have the people here starting to come in, and that's a good thing. Um, my topic for the day is reparations, and what I want to say about reparations is that um, – it's a very, very important issue. We have to pay <laughs> real close attention to how the movement is developing and how a lot of people are jumping on the bandwagon. And uh, I think they see that it's a bravery train, huh? And we have to be careful. Even within the Black Liberation Movement or the Black Freedom Movement, we got to be careful. But there are uh, people coming in, and they might not be uh, dedicated to the cause. A lot of people come in, let's say, for example, you got lawyers and you got doctors. They go into the field because they want to help people. And then you got some people that go in the field strictly for the money. You got doctors that care about it, they care about the profession, they care about saving lives. Then you got other people that go into the medical field just for the money. Same thing about reparations. You got a lot of people coming into the reparations movement. They ain't coming here to get no reparations for no black folks. They don't give a damn about black folks, even though some of them may be black. A lot of them may be black. They come in here because they see the money floating around and they see a, a dollar bill whistling in the wind. So we got to be careful about that. And, you know, a lot of these cats are black capitalists, uh, black uh, opportunists, black, uh, 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 they want to co-op the movement. You know, they're doing it, and, you know, a lot of people are talking about different ways we can use the nonprofit sector to expand the black liberation movement and the black freedom struggle and reparation. We have to be very careful when we're taking money and grants from other people and funding from other people to finance our struggle and our liberation. Because he who pay the pipe will call the tune. Everybody know that. And everybody who paid it to our ally ain't our ally, you know. We got to go back and we got to understand that I just went to a Juneteenth festival Saturday. You got a bunch of white corporations sponsoring Juneteenth. Yeah, it done went mainstream. When reparations go mainstream, you're going to have a lot of white corporations and a lot of uh, finances companies that's going to put their money out there and it's going to be enticing and a lot of people going to crumble under the pressure. They, they heart, their dedication, their commitment going to be undermined and, you know, they ain't going to be true to it. Another thing I want to say is that, boom, everybody who's talking needs to make sure that when we talk about reparations, we, because I was just on uh, MSCBC this morning, they got a dude up there talking about reparations, and 
uh, talking about he only supported with redlining and other than that, all the stuff is going back centuries ago. He don't have, he don't see no justification for, and that is not, uh, you know. So in the in the mainstream media is putting people up on reparations to talk about reparations who don't have no uh, concrete, intelligent understanding of reparations and no serious commitment to revelation just to give a political spin or twist to the issue. And this is what we got to deal with. We got to control the narrative dealing with revelation. We got to control the narrative. And not only that, we got to control the narrative dealing with the black liberation movement. That means we have to take advantage of the media and the communication systems that we can access. And uh, like Crystal said, we're going, she's going to try to hope them get us on YouTube. All these different forms of media is how we have to combat the disinformation and the misinformation. And another thing I want to point out is when we're just dealing with reparations and talking to everybody about reparations, the most important thing we need to let them know is that number one on the reparations list is land. Land, number one. And the message to the black man, uh, Elijah Muhammad in, in the Black Confederate Power, he said something about seven states, seven or eight states. We at the Republic of New Africa, we're talking about five states at a minimum. At a minimum. That's number one on the list, land. Land is based for freedom, wealth, and power. Land is the basis of freedom, wealth, and power. So number one on the list is land. We got more bones, more blood, more sweat, more tears buried in this soil than anybody that's on this continent, including the Native American Indians. Yeah, we recognize they just claimed well, we got a vested interest in a vested stake in this land over here, and we ain't going nowhere. You did. We built this country, made the most powerful country in the world, and we're not going to abandon that. And they stole us. They stole our labor. They stole our lives. They stole our blood. And we want that back. We want an accounting. And it's going to be a fair and just accounting. We ain't going to have these bourgeois Negroes selling us out and getting us some tokens and some symbolism and calling it a reparation. You got all kinds of people coming up with reparation packages. William Daddy put that 14 trillion out there for our labor. Okay, well, labor ain't the number one issue that we want to get paid for. It's on, the, it's on the list, but it ain't the number one issue we want to get paid for. Our lives is three times more valuable than our labor. So if you can come up with 14 trillion for our labor, then you multiply that time three, and that's the value of our lives. And the first bones I want to start counting is the my ancestor bones at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. We ain't even got to America yet. Into who done died and been abused on the slave plantation. But we want all that to go into that county, and we want to add it up. And we want our just set. You see? Now, we understand that we got people who want to stay and be part of America. We got people who want to rep, rep, reparate back to Africa or go to some other country. And we got us who want our own nation in the Black Belt South. Everybody got their right. Everybody should receive a just, uh, uh, just what they're entitled to. And to exercise their right to free choice and get what they got coming and what they deserve. And so far as, uh, 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 Participating in the American political and economic system right now, we got a lot of brothers and sisters participating in that system. 
But I'ma like this here. If you ain't if you wanna test somebody and see if they real, first thing you do is how where you at on reparations? I got several different mayors down here in North Carolina, I mean South Carolina, in the city, I mean, want my back and my support. And I got a a, a highly uh position uh, uh sister in the political uh uh establishment down here asking me to support this candidate, that candidate. Well I'm, my thing is how do you know a black hypocrite? Ma'am, how do you know a black hypocrite? I, I don't care what his value, I mean, I don't care what his skills is, what his capabilities is. And yet you talking about he the most qualified, the most skillful, the most knowledgeable for the job. Well, I want to know where his heart at. I want to know what his mindset is, what his value, where is he at on reparations? Is he willing to go out for the people and fight for reparations? Because if he ain't, I can't say too much about him. I can't tell you he ain't no coon. I can't tell you he ain't no sellout. I can't, I can't base uh, uh, nothing concrete on that if he ain't willing to go out for the people and fight for reparations. Now, some of these cats may be uh, uh, unwilling, feel like they might not win the office if they talk about reparations. Well, let me know if you're making a tactical decision that once you get in the seat, you're going to put reparations through by executive order or something that you can do as a mayor or as a county uh, uh, commissioner, chairman, or whatever. And if you're making a tactical decision, I can understand that. But I need to understand where your heart is before I even give you my support, before we even go to the election day and all that. And anytime we participate in the American political system, everybody needs to know that we participate in the American political system solely to advance black liberation. That means we have to have a black agenda. At the top of that agenda is self-determination and reparation. If you participate in the American political system, use it to advance black liberation, national independence, and reparation. If you ain't doing that, you don't need to be in participating in the American electoral system. Yeah, we got a lot of people that want to continue to assimilate with the American uh, enterprise. But that's a, 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 a very uh, serious relationship we need to understand on how the black masters going to work with the black assimilationist and integration. Because organizations group like the Encope, we have brothers and sisters on, in the different uh, factions or wings of the, of the Black Freedom Movement. You got nationalists over here, you got integrationists here, you got reparatory people who want to reparate back to Africa. And we got to understand that this got to be balanced down and everybody fully and equally represented when we, uh, uh, when whoever is going to be making decisions on behalf of the people. Or else, like the uh, House Bill 40, H.R. 40, say set up a commission and then uh, uh, the president nominates the people, the House, the people, the man of the, of the House represents nominates the people, and then one other cat nominates people. And then there's uh, spots for like six or seven other civil society groups that have been in uh, reparation for a long time. Okay, well, how, what was the composition of this speech? And how many black nationalists and black revolutionaries going to be in that composition? Or is it going to be a commission full of number of coons? Uncle Tom and sellout. Black hypocrites. We got to be careful. You digging all this infighting that we got going on among ourselves over who's going to get what. Who need to be at the front of the line? Look, this is how we need to understand this here. We don't need to buy the, the, we don't need the, the slave mouth coming out and say, y'all over here when dealing with my family, if the white man across the street owe me something and he done hurt my family and people in my family, 
I don't need him coming over there and say, well, I'm going to give your cousin this. I'm going to give your son that. I'm going to give your wife this. And I'm going to give your such and such. No, nigga, just give me the whole goddamn package. And I can make sure that my family get what they deserve. Each gonna get their fresh up. I got this. I'm, I'm the head of the house. Right on. Black power. We, can, we can do this. We can figure this. Free the land. By any means necessary. We, Man, can, we can figure this. Excuse me, brother. Ahead, brother Luke Mon, Uh We're going to uh, ask you to give us about two, one more minute to wrap this up. We got our brother that's going to come on and start the libation. We want to thank Brother Luke Mon for, number one, uh, coming on uh, and filling in this time slot while we're trying to get uh, – I need everybody – let me see who I need to – everybody meet that line of the night. Speaking or should be speaking right now. I guess the only mic should be open right now is me and Luke Mon. I'm hearing some background. Okay. We got a lot of folks joining on. I'm hearing some background. But what we want to do is uh, we want to thank our brother, Luke Mon, for coming on board, not only this morning, to help us. Uh, oh, I need to get into camera. Look, we got a studio production going on here, brothers and sisters. We got this phone. Wait a minute. We're trying to get it together here. We got the brother in the background telling me I'm out of frame. You know, practice frame ain't perfect, huh? Is that right? Man, my comrade's going to have me right. The other brother told me my, my lipstick was crooked. Do you got uh? Is you, uh do you do you got record? It's recording, right? <laughs> Crystal, it's recording, right? Yes, we are oh, recording. Yeah, people don't. Yeah, we okay, are recording. We are recording. Just in case uh, some people don't come in or can't hear, they can come back later. On. Oh, it's recording. It's definitely recording. And in just a second, okay, so I'm gonna you want turn, me to go ahead and uh, yeah, in just ahead. a second, in just a minute, I'm gonna turn it over my laptop over to. The brother that's going to uh, try to get the, the laptop together for us uh, to to get this YouTube on, because I've been trying my darn just to to connect it. I got the Zoom down pat, <laughs> but we gotta get this YouTube okay. connected, and uh, so we're gonna work on getting that together. So we appreciate everybody's patience. Uh, we do need, however, um, to, for. I wanted to thank you, brother, Luke, no, before I turned you over. Not only for coming on and helping us to fill in this gap this well, morning, give me, give me but one, also, give me, one second. Give me one more one minute. I want okay. to thank you for coming on, and I also want to thank you for bringing brother from Guinea-Bissau on, brother Stepway. So uh, I want you can wrap it up, but I still want you to come back and introduce him properly uh, because you, you have a lot of more insight. Uh, into the the great work that our brother is doing, but we'll have you do that after the, uh, brother uh, Jamoke does the libations. So one one minute, let's go ahead and wrap this up, and then uh, we got to get the, the official program rolling. And we thank everybody for your patience. We're gonna get this thing rolling smoother. But one thing for sure, the show what it said, the show is is uh, moving forward. So we go on. The show is going on. Yeah. Quick question, Crystal. Will I be able to um, share my screen, or did you receive my presentation, or? Well, um, you, and who, is, who am I speaking with? Sip away. Sip away. Um, this I, is Brother I, I will, you can, I'll let you share your screen. You'll be able to share your screen. Yeah. Uh, you know what? This is what we're going to do. A few people sent me the presentation, but uh, I'm, let's do a couple of house rules. Number one. We want to thank the Most High and the Creator and all our ancestors for bringing us to this day. We have the benefit of having this technology. You know, we're still trying to master it. Don't, don't get us wrong. 
You know, this might be a little choppy in the beginning, but I guarantee you, we got 12 hours to make this a smooth ride. <laughs> so we're just starting. We have some very powerful speakers coming on. Um, so we have some very uh, serious brothers and sisters that are signing in and participating. Um, we got comrades here in the backdrop. You know, we've done a lot over the weekend hitting these streets. But we want to ask you, everyone, to be respectful of one another. Um, even when we open up the floor for audience participation, uh, we only want people that are for reparations to be participating. If you have a problem with reparations, you can hang up the line now or don't even try to get into the conversation because we will drop you. But we don't have any of those type of people on the line right now, but these are just the house rules. We want you to be respectful. And we also are going to ask you, brothers and sisters, to be patient with us uh, as we are getting our act together uh, on this broadcast. So without further ado, Brother Luke Marn, uh one minute to finish what you're saying. But bring on Brother Jamoke, who is a presenter. But we are going to make sure that we open up this program all the way, all the way right and have libation before we bring on Brother Kofi to Harker, the national chair of the Black United Front. So one minute, brother Luke, mine. Black power. Okay, uh, black power. Bring on in. Uh, I think Super Wave would probably be the best one to introduce him himself. So I'm gonna we let not, him. We're not doing himself. him yet. We're doing Jamoke then Super Super Wave. Well, you told me to lot. introduce him. It's not time for him. So yet. I told you. Well, I told you. Well, I know. I'm just saying I'm gonna let him introduce himself. Because <laughs> you asked me to introduce. Him. Bro, we ain't got time for that, brother Luke, mine. I'm gonna boot you off. No, I'm just kidding. But listen. Uh, we, we we need this to move smoothly. This is I'm just trying to be clear. Uh, you don't want to introduce him, okay? We'll just wrap it up in this one minute, and then we bring Jim oh, okay on. Let him and that's that. All right, Black Power, one yeah. minute, brother. One minute. Uh, only thing I want to say is that uh, we got we can't be having no illusions about reparations on whatever on every level. Uh. You know, it's going on at county level, at state level, national level, at international level. And this has to be a coordinated movement because otherwise it's weak. one level or one front can undermine or be counterproductive to another level and another. Uh, so we don't, we have to understand that. We can't just believe that, hey man, everything will all fall together or this will happen at the local and the state level going uh, 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 automatically result in something that's national and international. It has to be strategically implemented. It has to be well thought out, not from just a political, but also from a legal perspective. And we also have to understand that the political and the legal uh, aspect of the reparation movement has got to be backed by a serious, a serious uh, 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 threat that if you don't give us what we want, it's going to be a problem. You dig what I'm saying? Because power can see nothing without demand. And Frederick Douglass said, who, he who uh, will be free must strike the blow. Thank and how be well told us this last thing. Black power. Yeah, black power. I don't know what kind of minute you got, brother. You got a, you got a, super, you got a super minute. I'm just, it's all good. 
Black Power, Black Power. We we love you, brother. We appreciate you, Black Power. Uh, brother, brother Jamo K. Without any further ado, uh, Nana Kwesi Jamo K. Ethan Tayo, proper name. But I'm. This is my comrade. I I, I call his brother all times a a night and day with with these uh, inspired uh, things we would like to do in the cause of reparations, in the cause of freedom fighting, in the cause of Republic of New Africa, what's going on on the continent. I met uh, Brother Shimoke in um, when Sister Mama and Jerry passed away within Cobra. Uh, uh, I was at the services uh, for the sister, and I, I didn't meet him directly, but he was I saw him in passing, but I was able to really build with him in Jackson, Mississippi on reparations. Um, and so uh, we've been rolling ever since. So, Brother Jamoke, we would ask you to get our program uh, kicked off official, official as far as bringing in our libations, and then we're going to keep rolling as best we can on a tight time schedule from that, Black Power. I don't hear you. Oh, your phone, your the mute is still on. The camera's on, but the mute is on. Anyway, black power and free land. Find the means necessary. Yes. Yeah, so, um, thank you, uh, Comrade Christopher Muhammad, for giving me this opportunity to open up with the libation. Um, I've always respected the work that you do in this movement. You are a serious warrior woman, and you do serious work, not just be talking about it. You be out in the streets doing the work of our people, dealing with um, murder, police murders, and many other things that you deal with in a very hands-on way. So we respect and appreciate your work, and thank you for your work. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to do an opening libation. I'm assuming probably most people on this call are familiar with libation. Um, libation is simply a prayer. It's a way that we acknowledge the presence of the Creator, acknowledge the presence of our ancestors in everything that we do. We just take a pause from time to time throughout the day or before we do something major important like this gathering to recognize the presence of the Creator and recognize the presence of our ancestors. Those who are joint, those who are on the call, you can participate in the libation by affirming, affirming it by saying "Ashe." Ashe means "and so be it." Also, spiritual power. You're more comfortable with saying "Amen." You can say "Amen." You're more comfortable with saying "Amen." You can say "Amen." You're more com comfortable with saying "Ayebobo." You can say "Ayebobo." Those are some of the common um, affirmations. Let's let's start by first taking a deep breath in and breathing out slowly. Breathing in again. Breathing out. One more time, breathing in slowly, breathing in, breathing out. Mojuba Ulutumare, Ashe. Mojuba Ori, Ashe. 
Don't you buy Baba Larisha Ashe? Don't you buy Ia Larisha Ashe? Don't you buy Egungun Ashe? We salute the Creator, known by many names, sometimes called God, sometimes called Allah, sometimes called Jehovah, Yahweh, Olu Dumare, Olu Kulu, Inyame. We salute the Creator, the owner of the heavens, and we say, Ashe. We salute what we know as the angels of heaven, sometimes called Orisha, sometimes called Netirus, and we say, Ashe. Ashe. We saluted our ancestors at Google. Ashe. Ashe. We salute our spiritual head, our Ori. Ashe. Ashe. We give things and praises for this gathering as we have come together today to mark the holy day known as Juneteenth, but more importantly to have a serious conversation on reparations. So we give thanks and praises that all of the speakers will bring us wisdom and knowledge and that their words will be anointing and their words will give us power to continue to move forward in this reparation movement. We say, Ashe. Ashe. We give thanks and praises and acknowledge the lands from which we, we live on, sometimes called some, the people known as the Washita, Ashe. Ashe. Also, I'm in the land known as Seminole land. But we also recognize the Muscogee, the Cherokee, the Chief, the Choctaw, the Chickasaw, Navajo, Diné, and other native indigenous of this land. Ashe. We recognize that our beginning and sojourn and the beginning of the reparations conversation does not begin here on these lands, but it begins on our great continent, Mother Africa, Akibalam, Tamari, also known by many names. So we give thanks for the fact that we were the first to begin to create the systems of civilization. We were the first to create the concept of family, of governance of medicine, science, astronomy, astrology, numerology, medicine, healing, uh, physics, everything that's uh, spiritual, spiritual systems known as religions now. We give thanks and praises that we were the first to create these systems and to bring them into their highest level. So we give thanks and praises for our ancient ancestors who lived their transition on the African soil. Ashe? Ashe. Ashe. We give thanks and praises for our fighters and warriors who defended our land. When people came into our land to, to take our resources, including our human bodies, people like Yah Asantu Ashe, people like Queen Nzinga Ashe, 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 and many people. We give thanks and praises for those who resisted and those who fought all the way to the ships, to the enslavement dungeons. Ashe. Ashe. Those who, who took over ships and steered them back or attempted to steer them back to Africa. Ashe. Those Ashe. who jumped Ashe. over four ships. Ashe. 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 And yet and still some of us survived. If it wasn't for those who survived, we wouldn't be here to tell the story. So we give thanks and praises for our ancient ancestors who built 
this country, they're built the Caribbean, they're built from South America. We give thanks and praises for their sacrifices, for clearing the lands, for draining the swamps, for building roads, for building um, agriculture. I share. I share. I share. And at this time, if you would like to call out those warrior ancestors who inspire you to do this work that we're doing for reparations and for liberation of people of African descent, you may call those names at this time. I'll start us off with the Honorable Marcus Messiah Garvey, Ashe. 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 And we always like to acknowledge his divine compliments, Amy Jack Garvey and Amy Ashwood Garvey, Ashe. 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 Malcolm X and Betty Shabazz, Ashe. Ashe. Geronimo G. Jaga, Ashe. Ashe. At Turner, Ashe. Ashe. And Marquis and Gabriel Prosser, Harriet Tubman, Queen Mother Moore. Ashe. Ashe. We give thanks and praises for those strong warriors, people like Dr. Khaled Muhammad, Ashe. Elijah Muhammad, Ashe. Ashe. Give thanks and praises for Noble Drew Ali, Ashe. Ashe. Baba Osergeman. Baba Imari Obadeli, Ashe. Ashe. Queen Mother Dorothy Benton Lewis, Ashe. Callie Howard, Isaiah Dixon. Ashe. Thanks and praises for artists and musicians who help to heal us. People like Robert Nesta Marley, Ashe. 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 And, um, Thinking about so many, so many, so many healers. Nanny of the Maroons, I say. And we want to also remember those ancestors who are in our own bloodline, our grandmothers and grandfathers, our great-grandmothers and great-grandfathers, those who prayed a prayer for us, those who sacrificed for us, those who work and to do whatever they felt was necessary to create a better world for African people, to create more space for African people. And we build on their legacy. We continue their traditions. We continue their hopes and their aspirations. So I'll start off with my mother, Yeye Olayo Dufuke, Ashe. Her mother, um, Rebecca Slade Simmons, and grandfather, Lawrence Jackson Simmons. Ashe. We recognize those who made quilts to give signs for our people on the Freedom Road. Those who, like I said, did whatever was necessary to help to create space for us. So we honor our grandmothers and grandfathers and great-grandmothers and great-grandfathers and cousins and uncles and nephews. We want to honor those um, ancestors who, um, who, who, whose lives were cut short as they just live in their lives. So many names that we can call out due to police brutality, due to lynching, due to so many different things. Um, but we honor them at this time, Ashe. Ashe. And then we want to close the libation out. Hmm. Creating, visualizing, and not just visualizing, but doing the work that we need to do to bring about the necessary healing and repair of our people, to bring about reparations in our lifetime, to bring about sovereign nations in our lifetime, to bring about African sovereignty, redemption, liberation, freedom. These are not abstract terms. These are real 
concepts that we can see in our lives or in our children's lives or in our grandchildren's lives. And so we send a prayer out to our children's children's children. They will continue to pick up the baton. They will continue to pick up the weapons. They will continue to pick up the movement. They will continue to pick up uh, institution building. They will continue to pick up those things that are necessary to create a better world for themselves and then their children yet unborn. When we say, Ashe. 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 Asheo. Asheo. Thank you, Brother Jamil K. Black Power, we still will be hearing a full presentation from Brother Jamil K at uh, 1.30 Central Time, 2.30 Eastern. He's got a full presentation, but we know we had to start off on the right beat on the spiritual path. So with that being said, brothers and sisters, it is Juneteenth. June 19, 2023, we are going 12 hours straight today. We have a, a powerful lineup of brothers and sisters with the information to bring you, not just talking heads, but actual brothers and sisters who have been putting in the work, boots on the ground, praying with their feet, putting actions, thoughts, strategy, blood, sweat, and tears uh, into this. Our brother right now that's about to come up is my, 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 my big brother, comrade. He's the national chairman of the National Black United Front. He has been a, a frontline uh, soldier, not only in Houston, Texas, but across the, the nation and at the forefront of pushing the matter of reparations strong, not only in the city of Houston, across the nation, but the National Black United Front has done international work as it relates to reparations. So as I bring our brother on, I mean, I, we've been fighting against police brutality. Yeah, we've been locked up in jail together <laughs> for shutting down the Harris County uh, courthouse, demanding the district attorney to deal with the police brutality. I mean, from political mobilizing to fighting for the rights of those brothers and sisters who didn't have a voice or who needed more of a voice, with no no questions asked, our brother, Brother Kofi Tahaka, Black Power, Brother Kofi, you have the floor. Black Power, we want to say Asante Sana, thank you very much, Sister National Chairwoman Crystal Muhammad, for inviting us to participate in this very important discussion and information session around the issue of the full and complete demand for reparations. I want to talk today about, about three different things. One, I'm going to deal first with the National Black United Front's work in the reparations movement on an international level, a national level, and a local level. And then, we're going to talk some about our work in standing up against the criminal injustice system and for the freedom of our political prisoners, prisoners of war, and those in exile and how that ties in as part and parcel of the demand for reparations. And then 
Third, I want to dig into an aspect, one aspect of all of these injury errors, areas, if you will, um, that came upon us that ties into all of that work, and it has to do with the convict lease and labor system. And that system here in the Houston area was, there was a gravesite unveiled where the ancestral remains of those who were entrapped in that system and then known as the Sugarland 95, and then just closed out with a few announcements. I do, uh, Sister Crystal, if you could tell me how we proceed relative to the PowerPoint presentation that I had submitted, then I'll be ready to, to go. Okay, yes, sir. Yes, sir, Brother Kofi. Uh, yes, sir. You say you ready to get that PowerPoint going? Yes, Just sir. Yes, ma'am. Uh, mm -hmm. You know what? I got to get this band on beat. One more quick second. Uh, no problem. Can you, can you give, me, give me three more minutes, five more minutes, brother? Absolutely, absolutely. Right. Uh, when we started out, I wanted to dedicate my remarks to uh, Sister Belinda Sutton. They say that she put in a claim for reparations in 1783. Her slave master was successful. To our great sister, Callie House, who organized in the late 1800s around the demand for reparations and got a trumped-up charge from the U.S. Postal Service. I think she did a year in prison. And then also... Many of us now who are old enough to have seen at all of our national gatherings our great sister and the voice of reparations movement in the 60s, 70s, 80s, into the 90s, uh, Queen Mother Audley Moore. So just like we started out with libation, we know that this call and demand for reparations is deep, deep, rich in our history as a people, and that there are many of those great ancestors that have come before us who put in the work, and we're picking up or have picked up the torch, if you will, picked up the banner, and we've had the opportunity to sit at their feet and hear from them. I'll let you know a part of the presentation that I'm going to give. We were fortunate. I'm based out of Houston, and we were fortunate to have the president of the uh, Republic of New Africa, the provisional government of the Republic of New Africa, for about 20 years in our area, Dr. Imari Ababukari Obadeli. And we also know, I know the brothers and sisters that are on the line know that he's one of the founders and uh, of Encobra National Coalition for Blacks for Reparations in America. He was teaching at Prairie View A&M University. And I can't tell you how valuable to have him for 20 years right at our beck and call helping to have us understand the importance of reparations, have us know and understand how we should strategize and what the work was 
that we needed to be doing. So that's one of the uh, ancestors that Imba across the country since our founding in 1980, um, as well as Baba Chokwe, Lumumba, and many others, we have a tight alliance with them in helping us to understand and how it is that we should go about dealing with this call and demand for reparations. Now, uh, it seems like maybe we, I guess I'm still on, we having a little a little challenge there. I will tell you, uh, Sister Crystal, if need be, I don't know about sharing my screen. I can pull up the presentation myself. So I know we're trying to get it. We're trying to get it going. Um, I'll just talk through some of it in the interest of time. Uh, yes, I'm just, trying to. Uh, I'm yeah. trying to do it. Uh, it seems like it's doing everything but opening. Right, right. It's a link. Let's it's see here. Mm -hmm. You are screen sharing. All right. Let's see. So you want? Let's see if we, if I'll allow you to do it. Are you on your laptop? Yes. Okay. Let's see. I think you might have to make me a co-host temporarily. Mm. Well, I just pushed the thing to say allow multiple folks, uh, multiple participants can share. Uh, who can share our participants? You're good. So you're up. Let me see. Let me stop my share. Let me see you, Kofi. There you go. All right. We can see the screen. Family. Yes, sir. All right. Black Power. Black Power. Thank you again, Asante Sana. Again, I already mentioned these ancestors dedicating those remarks to it, and I'm going to go into uh, the topics in which I spoke about. So let me get my thing together a little bit. I think I'm ready. So I mentioned to you, uh, sisters and brothers, I want to talk a little bit about MBUF and our involvement in the in uh, reparations movement. And there, uh, most of the people on the line, but some people listening might not know, but there's Dr. Imari Abubakari Obadele at one of our national um, conventions. 1996, some of us will remember that it came out, it was reported that the CIA had been involved with the distribution, getting money from the sale of drugs through the Contras and the distribution of crack cocaine. So in, from 1996 to 1998, the National Black United Front, under the leadership of Egun, our brother, Dr. Conrad Warrell, they sought to duplicate in some forms the 1951 petition that had been taken to the United Nations by Patterson, Robeson, and Du Bois, charging the United States government with genocide. What we did, and I want to say, let me start off, I'm, 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 I'm talking about IMBA, but everything I got to say involves other organizations, other individuals, other people, and us working in a collective. The second thing that you'll see about some of our work is most of our work that it has a mass appeal to it, all right? So what we did 
was uh, we put together a petition charging the United States government with genocide. In the first phase of that petition, we were able to garner with no budget, just the, the, the support of our, our allies, comrades, people around the country, 157,000 signatures that where people signed on for us as black people, as people of African descent who charged the United States government with genocide. I think it was May of 1997 that our brother, uh, again, Dr. Warrell, Brother Bob Brown from the All African People's Revolutionary Party, Sister Mawia Buseji, Brother Samori Grace, Brother James Muhammad went to Geneva, Switzerland, delivered those petitions charging the United States government with genocide around the issue that had been revealed in the San Jose Mercury News article by Gary Webb showing the link of how the government of the United States and the CIA was making money off of the sale of drugs through their contracts through street organizations. There was another phase where we got another 60,000 signatures, and many of us went to New York City also delivering that petition. There's a procedure, they call it the 1503 procedure, I believe, where they received those petitions. The U.S. State Department, all they did was basically say that they received them, but it did put some pressure on the government, and I think Clinton was the president at the time and uh, put together some race initiatives or race panels. Moving on, in 2001, the December 12th movement, who I highly recommend for people who are interested in the international work relative to African people, is one of those uh, grassroots organizations that's been doing this work for a long time, helped spearhead along with Encobra, Embuff, and many other groups, what we call the Durban 400, to go to the United Nations World Conference Against Racism that was held in Azania, South Africa, in Azania. And again, the idea was a mass base to put together not one individual leader that said that they, he or she spoke for our people, but to go there and lobby that conference to identify the transatlantic slave trade as a crime against humanity, that it had an economic base, and that reparations were due. This is on the international stage, on the diplomatic front. Many MBUF members, D12 members, and COBRA members, reparations, activists, organizers, and community groups did go to Azania. And at the end of the day, they did get the language in the document. The United States walked out of that conference. They walked out, and other Western uh, uh, countries actually walked out of that conference, but they were putting pressure on African governments not to vote for that particular language. And there's a document, I think it may be called the Durban document, and they even tried after the conference to take the language out of it. But that is the Durban 400. Then on the national level, many of us who are on here will remember the Millions for Reparations movement that was held on the 115th birthday of the right excellent Marcus Mosiah Garvey, 
in Washington, D.C., and 50,000-plus of our people from across the country and across the globe came to Washington, D.C., not under some ambiguous banner. We all came there understanding that we were putting ourselves there to demand reparations for our people. And this was organized primarily by the December 12th movement, the National Black United Front, um, and supported by INCOBRA and a number of other organizations. That's just uh, something from one of our newspapers there, and then uh, that's something from our delegation, one of our delegations that was there, and that slogan was, they stole us, they sold us, and they owe us. You see it. Now, the last thing on the, on the national level that I want to call to our attention is that uh, brother, brother Dr. Egun Comrade had enlisted the help of the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan around what was termed the Indaba, the big sit-down. And there were four or five of these that took place across the country where many of the reparations organizations and activists and organizers were brought together in somewhat of a mini, a mini conference. And Houston was one of those cities. I think Jackson, Mississippi, with Baba Chokeway, Baltimore, and there were some other ones. Now, this here is just an article that I wrote uh, after the event. It was 10,000-plus black folks at the Texas Southern University there to hear Brother Minister Farrakhan talk about the issue of reparations, and you see a lot of different um, groups were represented, but it was a whole weekend worth of activities. And the goal of that was to bring some unity together with us around this demand for reparations, as well as do some major education on the subject matter. Now, while that was going on, we had across the country, particularly here in our locale, what we call the Local Action Committee on Reparations, the Local Action Committee on Reparations. And, yes. Am I on the only one? I only see the dedication page. I don't see you moving through the slides. Oh, wow. Okay. I don't, I just see it on the dedication page still. Oh, okay. Thank you for that. I, I don't know. I'm moving through the slides, so I don't know what's happening. It's showing on my screen. Maybe it's me. I don't know. Yeah, thank you. Anybody well, else see it? It's the same thank for the rest of us. Thank you. Thank All you. we see is the dedication page. Oh, wow. Okay. Let me see it if we... It says you are sharing... But your oral history is fantastic, brother, so don't lose your train of thought. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know, I'm going off the pictures, man. Uh, man, I wouldn't <laughs> see these joints, for real. Wow, let's see. what You are sharing your screen. I'm doing that. What am I That ain't nothing but the CIA. <laughs> <laughs> the FBI, see. the CIA. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, let me see. Uh, I don't know why. 
Yeah, I'm moving through these joints. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try something real quick, and then I'm gonna try to go back to it. I stepped out for a second. I'm gonna try to go back to it to see yeah, that's what, what I was gonna recommend. Go out and come back in. Yeah. Okay, we can see that. Oh, wow. I'm already on that. So in the interest of uh, y'all can see the local action committee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Let me let me see if I can move. Okay. Let me, cause I'm just going to see whether it goes to the next slide. Can y'all see that? Yes, sir. Okay. I'm going to go back to this. And we're going to keep it popping. All right. Black so at, at the at simultaneous, while these national, while these international national things going on, if we remember, one of the strategies was like everybody can't go to Azania. Everybody can't uh, go to New York or whatever, but what can we do in our local communities? And we were uh, tasked by uh, INCOBRA and others to go deal in our local municipalities around just simply getting resolutions supporting H.R. 40, the Conyers bill. And we took that to heart here in uh, Houston and in Texas, now, I know Brother James uh, out of Dallas will speak to some of that, but this is, um, this is, let me go back a second. All right. Yeah, okay. Ooh, ooh, ooh. All right. Yeah, this here is, um, again, we organized a, a, a diverse coalition of people and put this to several administrations in the Houston government right here in Houston, Texas. And we'll see, um, we see representatives from the Nation of Islam. We see uh, Brother Egul, Brother Dr. Imario Badelli, and what have you. And so, but what we did was we also, with our local action committee, we went about um, educating people in communities, whether they be churches, mosques, temples, community centers, we went out, we met, we met weekly on it, we went out to all of these various entities talking and engaging our community around the uh, issue of reparations. We brought it then on the second administration to the, the uh, 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 climax. Y'all, y'all see all them cops, right? And uh, this is one of the, uh, I had got detained uh, behind shutting down the Houston City Council for around the issue of reparations. And again, it was a broad-based coalition that was dedicated, not like a, a snap of the finger, but we were consistently raising this issue in our community and throughout. And to this day, Houston, to my knowledge, Houston doesn't even have a, a support resolution around anything to do with reparations. And up at the top, it's kind of blocked out now, and this is going to come into play. Another one of the strategies was to look at some of these companies and these governmental entities that have benefited off of our enslaved ancestors and built their wealth. And right here outside of Houston was the Imperial Sugar Company. And I give strong it's not moving again. Okay, I ain't moving. I ain't moving. Is, did it move? Mm-hmm. Did it move what? that time? What Are you saying see? consistent criminal injustice? Is, is, yeah, yeah, it yeah. moved. 
I wasn't, I wasn't trying to move it, Sister Crystal. What, okay. I, what, I, what I wanted to say about was is that in, period, in 2002, because of Brother Omar Wiley and some of his research, we found out about the criminal justice, the criminal injustice, uh, convict lease and labor and the wealth, and we went down to Sugar Land, which is almost an hour away from here, did a rally, protest, petition, called for a boycott around the Imperial Sugar Company, raising that particular issue up. Now, on this particular slide, this is the Black Justice Tuesday Coalition. This is about the consistent work of criminal justice, police terrorism, political prisoners, prisoners of war, and our exiles. And this is one of the protests for three and a half years. We went to the Harris County Courthouse, which is right by the prison industrial complex here in Houston, which the jail holds about ten to 14,000 people in the county jail itself, but we would go to City Hall and various places around us. And then in that coffin, you see uh, the picture of um, Ida Delaney, Carl Hampton, the sisters, the brothers who rose up in a rebellion in Freedmanstown who were hung in the 1920s. You see Brian Clonch, who was a cripple. He was, he was um, an amputee that the Houston Police Department went in and shot and killed. And then also uh, the brother's name at the top is escaping me, one of the indigenous brothers with the uniform on there. But so we were bringing this, we were constantly and consistently bringing this issue of this criminal injustice system, police terrorism, use of excessive force. Also, a broad-based coalition, Shaka Sankofa, he was executed by the state of Texas June 22, 2000. There was a at least seven or eight-year community-based movement around keeping this brother alive, and it was successful a number of times, but in the end, George Bush and the state of Texas executed our brother Shaka Sankofa, and I would say Shaka was next to Mumia Abu-Jamal, was one of the most well-known internationally um, prisoners on death row. We know in Louisiana, that's us there supporting our brother of, brothers of the Angola Three, Albert Woodfox and King. And um, Woodfox just became Egun ancestor a few months back. Herman Wallace, Egun, and King, Robert King Wilkins is still alive. We know about Sandra Bland. We see our great Egun ancestor, Mother Denver, there. Uh, we hit the point on that. That is out by Prairie View in Waller County. We was uh, working with a lot of various groups there. Some of our uh, people in exile, Asaka Shakur. This is a solidarity rally at the federal building in Houston, Texas, around Asaka Shakur. This is Brother Marshall Conway. Me and Brother Salim there up in Jessup Correctional Facility in Maryland. Marshall Eddie Conway, former Black Panther out of Baltimore, and he is uh, Egun. He just became Egun not too long ago. When, one time when we were there visiting him, I went and saw him several times, sisters and brothers, is, say, 
Eddie, what should we do? He said, you know, we have a need to deal with our own food sovereignty. What about doing community gardens, but also name them after political prisoners? And that's exactly what it is that we did. And we still have operational now, Sundiata Koli, Shaka Sankofa, Self-Determination Community Garden. Sundiata Koli, Black Panther Party, Black Liberation Army, he got out. He's 86. We had like a 30-plus year relationship in terms of supporting him. So when we talk about political prisoners, prisoners of war, what do we mean? Support, writing them letters, putting money on their books. When calls go out for campaigns to the parole board, all of that, being down with that. Sundiata is from Texas, went to Prairie View, A&M University, and he did, he did 50. He did 50 or close to 49 and something. But what happens with this garden is we teach people two things, sisters and brothers. One is how we grow, how is it that we basically deal with our own food sovereignty, but every time somebody goes there, then we get the opportunity to speak about Sundiata Kohli, a former political prisoner, prisoner of war, and Shaka Sankofa, who was a, polit uh, a prisoner of conscience. And then this is here in H-Town when the masses of people uh, took over the street around Trayvon Martin. But y'all get the point. So we've been, we've been on that. We've been on that work. And our point, one of our points that we consistently have made is that a part and parcel of one of the injury areas with reparations got to be the freedom of political prisoners, prisoners of war, and return of exile, and then also serious structural change in the criminal injustice system. Now, is the slide still moving, sisters and brothers? Yes, sir. You looking good? You got the sugar laying up there? Right. Now, I want, I, want to, I want you to remember 2002, Sugarland 95. This presentation that I'm giving you is like a compilation presentation of things that I put together. Also, our National Vice Chair of International Affairs, Sotara Olashola, and uh, our brother out of Kansas City, Brother Mickey Dean. So let's get into this. This is, uh, we talking about blood money. We talking about slavery by any other name. Now, I'm going to set the stage for you. In Texas, this man, Stephen F. Austin, acquired uh, Fort Bend County through uh, a Mexican land grant. He and others in 1823, he and others, we were talking about the indigenous power people, the indigenous people, they sought to massacre them. And they were being sought to massacre them even before when the Spanish were here in the 1600s, 1700s and what have you. But they went all out with these land grants and that fertile uh, floodplain of the, Bra of the Brazos River. The convict lease system, it, it is said to have operated in the United States between 1848 and 1928. That's pre-emancipation proclamation, particularly in Alabama. But when it blew up, when it all blew up was after 1865, after Emancipation Proclamation, after Juneteenth, and these people figured out with that 13th Amendment, which we know that slavery wasn't abolished, it was that clause in there that said you could still be enslaved if you had committed a, a, a crime, and this is during the Black Codes era, and they had these laws, these vagrancy laws, 
uh, riding on the rail, loitering, too many of us being together, gambling, talking too loud in public so that then they could get their free labor. So we already know uh, corruption, all of that. And it's the root, though. That's why I was talking about our work in the prison, uh, uh, the criminal, so-called criminal and justice system, that this finds the root, we get into the root of what we see today in that convict leasing and labor. And in a lot of ways, in these southern states, slavery was replaced by convict labor. And these are just some pictures of some of the ancestors in different states, but who were used and treated. Some people say that it was worse than slavery. Why? What could be worse than slavery? Well, they say that there was some interest in treating our ancestors with a modern uh, 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 of dignity in slavery because of the value in the prison convict lease system. They had they had no such value. You couldn't you couldn't sell these people. So then you could just work them to death and get another one. So these states made contracts with independent industries, and they did that here in Houston. Uh, the, the person named Diana, please mute your phone. We're hearing your backdrop, and it's interrupting the brother's music. Make presentation. As you were, brother Kofi. Yes. Uh, so this is a little history of the Imperial Sugar Company going back to 1830. You'll see when you, when you go down, you'll see different people. Uh, they first got the company through a land grant through, through Stephen, uh, I mean that area through Stephen F. Austin. Then different people they changed hands of ownership over who owned the Imperial Sugar Company. And these names that we're seeing here: Cunningham, Ellis, um, Eldridge. All of these people are very prominent people whose streets are named after them throughout Texas and particularly this region in Texas. But they made their blood money off of our free labor. And this is a slide that tells you what it looks like today. If you've never been here, this is one of the most richest, cleanest, Suburbs, it's about, again, about 45 minutes of legit drive outside of Houston to Sugarland that you're going to see where they have the first colony mall and they got plantation, they got the big houses named after plantations, but it's all soaked in our blood. And I want to tell you in, you know, getting prepared for this, I'm reminded of what John Henry Clark said about reading some of these documents about what happened with our ancestors. And it's like, it makes you want to get a six-pack and six handkerchiefs. So Dr. Clark said. So these are some of the companies that still to this day currently benefit from convict labor or prison labor. So when people say, the claim and demand for reparations, that was a long time ago. We already know that we're dealing with the vestiges of it, and people are still 
to this day, making money off of it. Now, the Sugar Land 95. You can look at the dates here very specifically. Sister Sutara did an excellent job of laying things out. It was 2018 when it became known or announced to the public that they have found remains, human remains, on this site where the Fort Bend Independent School District was building this $50 million high school. Prior to that, our Egun, our ancestor, Brother Reginald Moore, who spent 20 years researching this, had warned these people not to build this school on there because they were likely to find remains. I'm here today to tell you, brothers and sisters, this is the only fully intact cemetery, to our knowledge, that has been found with victims of convict, lease, and labor. They were in pine boxes. They called it the hellhole on the Brazos. The hellhole on the Brazos. They didn't heed Brother Reginald Moore's warning, but they did find remains there. And when they announced that, because we had been doing the work several years before and knew about it, then we jumped right on that and went to the Fort Bend Independent School District and told them a few things. That's some of the, uh, that's the construction of the school and it had been identified that there were 95 human remains. I think 94 of them were African men, one African woman. And I think of those 94, I'm not sure of the youngest age. The youngest age may have been uh, 15 or 16. And through some of the forensics, they could tell how some of the people died through a brutal, brutal system. And you see in the back the construction of the school. Like I said, we went there. We went with a chief priestess, Omilana Fagbemro, a Musang, Brother Derek Muhammad and myself, and went and met with the met with the superintendent of the schools. We went there with a list, list to, they really didn't have much to say, and automatically they went into damage control mode. We also did a tour of the facility. You know how you see archaeologists, you know, with the, with the paintbrushes and everything. And when we went out there, it was about like it is now, 100, felt like 100 degrees out there. There was no person of African ancestry doing that work from this company that they have. So, again, we organized a coalition with a lot of different groups. We called it the uh, Task Force, the African Burial Ground in Sugarland, taking some of what we had seen and learned and communicated with about the African Burial Ground there in New York City. And these are the issues that we presented uh, to them and to the public, intellectual control. We're saying, number one, the people that they had working on the site, 
they have, they're not properly credentialed to even understand African culture, black history, or any of those things to be working on the site. Again, about the African burial ground, though, is different. There were some good lessons to be learned about that fight that went on and how that was handled. Descendant community engagement, so they could get the DNA, then identify the descendants. Also, uh, the establishment of a museum there, and then, of course, full and complete reparations specifically around the descendant community. And basically, what the Fort Bend Independent School District did was play a game of public relations. They try to act like it is that they care about what people were saying should be done. All the while, they were concerned about the building of their $50 million school, about what laws, because we were in the courtroom at different times, about what laws that were, what they had to follow legally. One of the victories is they were trying to actually remove the remains from that resting place, and because of the community outcry, they were unable to do that. Now, to this day, they say that they're doing some level of DNA analysis. We're very suspicious of that, and they have not engaged in a descendant full engagement, a robust descendant community engagement, because if we think about it, when they identify, there's some people that live in that area today or wherever we may be across the country that can be identified, then that would give some legal standing, it seems like to us, as to what happens. This was so deep, it got so hot and heavy that the politicians in, in, in that area, both some of the black ones and the white ones and, and others, they said, look, we're going we're gonna to strike a deal in order to get this museum, have the county be the caretaker, not, not, the, not the school district of it, and we're going to do some financing behind it. You all already know about the state of Texas. The state, they actually had to get a law passed through the state legislator to allow the county to become caretaker of this sacred site where the Sugarland 95 remains were found. And then at the last minute, at the 11th hour, the school district pulled out of that agreement. These are politicians in and of themselves working out something that would seem um, reasonable, and then they pulled out. And it's our contention they pulled out because no matter what they said in public is what they were obligated to do based on the law, and that is why they pulled out. They, they were not obligated in which to do that. And they did some sham task force and advisory committees and what have you. That's Sister Swataro. We would fill up the school board meetings, have rallies, protest meetings, um, town hall meetings, all of those various things. And um, then they offered some money, too. This is, this is another thing 
that we got to be real clear on. So they gave a contract to a black uh, funeral home of about 200 and some thousand dollars to build these little uh, small coffins that the remains could go in. And we kept telling this company, look, <laughs> all money ain't good money. This is blood money. Now, this person, as far as I know, they never had anything to do with the work that Reginald Moore had been doing in his organization or anybody else who had raised up in support of the Sugarland 95. And by the way, let me say this, that, you know, we have the tradition in our movement with our uh, political prisoners of the uh, naming the naming. Uh, Many of them, like the Angola 3, the Panther 21, the Wilmington 10, the RNA 11, all of these various groups. And Brother Derek Muhammad is the one that came up with the idea to call, be, call them the Sugarland 95 in that vein. At that point in time, they were unknown, but it was in that same spirit, and I just wanted to mention that. So these are just some of the pictures of some of the some of the protests with the with uh, diversity of various activists. This is us at the courthouse. These are uh, some different activities that had took place, and there were many there are many others. And as I said, there are many different groups. We're not sitting here trying to say that Impulse did all of this. No way, shape, or form. We always organize. Um, and have a mass kind of appeal as well as coalition building and what it is that we were doing. Now, um, that's another, that, that was another protest where we had, we put on the war paint. We put on the, we put on the war paint, um, at one of their meetings and what have you. So, um, and then that's at another sham activity that they were having that we went in and, uh, I think we went in and shut that down. So, where did all of this go? Let me say this, that basically through all of the efforts that we put forth, as I said, we were able to have some small victories. But the biggest thing that we had not been able to acquire or get on our side, even to this day, is legal representation for the Sugarland 95. And we went and met with various lawyers and what have you. Because if you know anything about the criminal injustice system here, it's kind of like CPS or Child Protective Services where the court can appoint what they call an adelitum, an attorney for children that's supposed to look out for their interests. And they have one of those people in this case or the deceased ancestors. But they were not doing anything on behalf of the deceased ancestors. They get, they get paid and appointed by uh, the judges and what have you in the court. But no lawyer that we were able to find was able to take up the claim on their behalf and put forth any substantial legal filings relative to the Sugarland 95. But their remains, they went ahead, they built the school, they had to change their whole plan built a school around the grave site, which is, which is still there. And um, they say, as I said, they say that they are, they are, they are uh, uh, doing DNA testing or what have you. They also say that um, 
they've identified some of them. There's, there's a website with Fort Bend ISD with Sugarland 95. Now, you can go on there and look at their documentation, but I say look at it with a high degree of skepticism and caution about what it is that had been done with them. So then we, we, we're like at the root. Look at these pictures. That's why I was talking about the six packs and the six handkerchiefs. I don't know what state each one of these pictures come from with this convict lease and labor, but you see the children that were being used in the chain gangs and what have you. So we don't want to forget them ever in this in this demand and this work around reparations. Um, just a couple of things as I begin to close out, Sister Crystal, some of the things that are happening now. The National Black United Front in Kansas City, with the good work of uh, Brother Mickey Dean and Brother Will Bowles and what have you, we know that different locales are taking up issues of setting up commissions and what have you. And they've been working on this for a number of years relative to the commission, and uh, they just recently set up a 13-member historic reparations commission. And you can just Google that and see where it is that uh, that stands, but that's very recent in the city of Kansas City. And then the other thing that I know that many of us know that when we talk about reparations, the external culprits um, or criminals, uh, government entities, private industries, and all of that, they got to pay in all different forms, but that doesn't stop us from doing much of our internal work relative to the repair. We're not solely waiting on them in terms of doing our work. And one of the things that we do in the uh, National Black United Front is, okay, did I lose it? Is the Sankofa Caravan to the Ancestors. And so for 26 years, it'll be coming up from Houston to Galveston on the third Saturday of the month where we're dealing with our spiritual, cultural, historical traditions on the beach in Galveston where they said Ranger came in um, on June 19th, 1865. And there's a whole bunch of our history in the state of Texas in Galveston because obviously it was a port of entry. Some of our enslaved ancestors came there. So we get down with that spiritual cultural and historical education through practice who I sent corporal caravan to the ancestors. And then uh, did y'all do y'all see that flyer blow up a little bit? Yes sir. All right, all right. I want to make sure y'all still awake. All right. And then the lastly um, we'll be coming up on our 44th annual national convention. We'll be in Pittsburgh this year. And you can go to inbuff.net, inbuff.net to see the full schedule. And we'll be building on this tradition that we talked about, about um, how can we come together in unity and building coalitions around things that are important to us as a people. All right, so I'm gonna stop the share now. I'm I'm back again. Black power, very powerful, very powerful. 
You bet um, you still got a few more you still got a few more ticks. Yeah, I, I just wanted to say that, you know, as I said that somebody said in the beginning that a part of this work is spiritual, you know. Is 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 legal, is political, is on the ground, is in the streets, is uh economic, is all of that. And a, a part of it is uh spiritual too. And when we think about all of those who come before us and this particular aspect when we look at this prison piece, we need to make sure we include that particular work. So I, I thank you. I say Asante Sana again for the opportunity to speak to you, sister chairwoman, and all of those who are participating and those who may have been watching uh, Black Power. I am Kofi Taharka. I have the privilege, the honor, and the responsibility of being the national chairman of the National Black United Front. Black Power. We want to thank Brother Kofi Taharka. Again, you know, many of those pictures you saw, I was on the front line. I am a member, a lifelong member of the National Black United Front as well. This is the organization that I uh, kind of broke my teeth in. I kind of broke my teeth in as far as activism work. Uh, I was attending the National Black United Front um, meetings on Mondays. I was uh, actively uh, going and getting knowledge from the mosque at uh, March 45 with the Nation of Islam and simultaneously going to uh, meetings at the Shrine of the Black Madonna and uh, also working with uh, Brother Deloitte Parker at the Shape Center doing various community activities. So these organizations were part of my foundation as far as being, you know, first coming into my consciousness, then becoming an activist, and eventually a revolutionary, because those are three different stages that you will see our people uh, get involved with, I mean, evolve too. But the boots on the ground work, at the time, the chairman was Brother Judah and Boney, and we were organizing uh, for the Justice for Shaka Sankofa. And as Brother Kofi mentioned earlier, that was a, from 1993 up until 2000. That was a seven-year battle. In fact, the people, we stopped his execution five times. He had five previously slated executions, but it was the organizing work of the folks in Houston, around the country, and even internationally that helped to stop it. And as Brother Kofi mentioned, uh, that old devil George Bush used that as a his murder as a platform to get him to the White House, and the rest of the world and the nation felt and understood the wickedness that we were dealing with here in Texas. We want to salute and ask everyone to continue to support the National Black United Front. With everyone that's doing the presentation here, we purposely reached out to because not only did they have a message. To bring, but because they've been doing the work, doing the work. So we have a lot of articulate people who can speak well and have a lot of good things to say. But the people who are presenting here, and I can tell you for a fact, we put boots on the ground. But the Kofi was with us in he was with, uh, in Jasper. I think he was in Jasper with Dr. Collins. Were you not, Brother Kofi? He was with us in Hemp Hill for Alfred Wright. Countless demonstrations here in Houston, Texas, and we support the the, the work, the good work of the National Black United Front, our brothers and sisters here in the New Black Panther Party. These are our comrades. Whenever they need us, we're there, and vice versa. 
There hasn't been a time when we, and in particular myself, called upon Brother Kofi and he, himself and the beautiful brothers and sisters of the National Black United Front were there. And every, on a week, on a monthly basis, they're out in the heart of Third Ward feeding and serving the people. It's not enough time to go over the work that the, this organization has done and this chairman has done. I even seen Brother Kofi. Uh, we were in New York at Malcolm X's graveyard. He crisscrosses this nation fighting for political prisoners, reparations, and all forms of justice. And we salute you, Brother Kofi. Black power. Black power. Free the land. All right, we we doing we're doing good here. Just a little a little schedule things we're gonna have to do. We wanna ask everybody to, to put up to, to do our prayers for Brother Reginald Gordon of Operation OG One. He was slated to do a presentation, uh, but he called me last night said he had got struck stricken uh, and had been hospitalized. He didn't know he had COVID. Uh, uh, so they're telling me he had COVID. So he would not be able to do a presentation. But it just so happens, as I mentioned earlier, Brother Lukeman was uh, was t- was uh, pulling uh, my attention to the Brother Sipaway uh, in Guinea-Bissau, who has been doing a lot of work for reparations on the for the, the colonized uh, colonizers in Africa and other works, international work. So we're going to ask the brother to take in that time slot for Brother Reggie so you have a full 30 minutes. And that new time slot, uh, Brother Sipaway, is 1 p.m. Central. Now, I'm not sure what time, Brother, you can come out for mute. I'm not sure what time 1 p.m. Central is in uh, in uh, Guinea-Bissau. And and this is how the ancestors work. Uh, about a year and a, two years ago, I got my... Uh, African ancestry uh, DNA check, and it came back and said I was on my matriarchal side. It says 100% from Guinea-Bissau of the Balanta tribe, and I've been doing my research, doing my research, and I was like, man, I gotta, you know, I gotta get to Guinea-Bissau, and you know, and I found out, you know, I said, well, damn, Balanta, I found out what that meant. And I was like, I got to get down there. And who knows? Who knew? I'm talking about it was 48 hours ago. We were out We were out at the Juneteenth event. Um, what day was that? Saturday. And Brother uh, Lukeman said, we got to get the brother on. I said, bring him on. No doubt. No doubt. We'll slide him in. We was going to try to squeeze you in this morning. But you'll get a whole slot uh, in just a little bit. So we thank you, brother. Be patient with us. Black power. Um, point of black power, point of clarification. When yes, you sir. say 1 p.m., is that 1 p.m. Eastern? It's 1 p.m. Central. 1 p.m. Okay. Central. So, so, one, so, so Eastern time is 2 p.m. Central. 2 p.m. Eastern. So I was prepared um, to give my presentation um, originally as we had scheduled now. I will have uh, technical difficulties um, uh, oh. later on this evening. So if it's, if, let me, if it's let me ask, all let me, possible. Let me ask right quick. Let me ask. The next presenter, Brother James, 
Yes, yes. Brother so, James, are you able to switch to present at 1 instead of 11 because of the brother's uh, time issue in Africa? Oh, yeah. You know, I'm flexible. Uh, but if he's you're going to go to the next person. No, he's uh, going to go now. And so then you, were ne- you were next, Brother James. Right, correct. I was supposed but, to go on it. Yeah, if you so, you would come on after 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 you, it would be Brother Baruti, M. Wallamu Baruti, then after Baruti, it would be you, Brother James. Okay, yeah, like I said, I'm flexible. Uh, my subject matter is not so complicated; it's not so long, so I'm I'm, I'm able to, you know, just sit sit in and watch for a while. Wow, thank you, Brother James. I love these brothers and sisters. <laughs> I just I'm talking about they good, solid, you know, just solid people. That's all we looking for. That's all we need. We got some more people in the waiting room. My my apologies, guys. Let me let me get y'all in here. Can I just say one thing? Yes, sir. I just wanna I wanna just give a thanks to my brother Kofi. You know, we go way back, and I and I want him to know I really enjoyed his presentation. That's right. That's right. Black power. Black power. Uh-oh. All right, so with our brother, without any further ado, our brother coming to us live from the motherland, we international, Pan Africanist, brother. Step away. You got a? You do you have a? You started your screen. So you have a PowerPoint? Yes. Uh, okay. Let me get this set up. While you setting it up, tell us about yourself, brother. Uh, Kumama Abene Fitoki da Brasamala Sipiwe Baleka Abene Binhamne Yogule. I said in my native Balanta language, greetings, welcome. My name is Sipiwe Baleka and I thank the wise ones of the past. Uh, I wanted to start by speaking my ancestral tongue because I'm greeting you from my ancestral homeland. Uh, and I do thank the ancestors that I have been able to um, identify my fifth generation great-grandfather who was taken as an eight-year-old boy from his village Nunche here in what is called Guinea-Bissau on the West African coast. And he was enslaved he was trafficked as a prisoner of war and enslaved in um, Charleston, South Carolina, and then later Cary, North Carolina. I am the eighth generation of Brasa and Chabra, that ancestor who survived the Middle Passage. And I begin my presentation um, to set an example that it is possible to heal from ethnocide, to regain your identity, your history, the one before the slave ship, your language, and even your land. Because as I said, I'm calling here from Guinea-Bissau. Um, Abene, I want to thank, um, I want to thank you, Crystal, um, and thank you, Brother Jami Lukman, for inviting me and giving me this opportunity. Um, can you see my screen? Is is it up yet? Uh, yes, the lady with the orange dress. Okay. <laughs> but there's a gray <laughs> it's not bar. The lady, it's me. You, oh, I'm sorry. 
It's a gray bar going yeah. across the. Yeah. Let me see if I can get the, it. The top. That's... It's a gray bar going across the. Yeah, face. I see it. Okay. So uh, my apologies, brother. Mm-hmm. Anyways, that's me wearing a traditional um, panel de pinti, which is um, it's just a it's a it's a blanket. It's a wrap. Uh, it's considered to be the most special gift um, here in Guinea-Bissau. Um, just a brief background: I was born and raised in Chicago or in the suburbs of Chicago, um, was a, a, a national champion swimmer, went to college at Yale University. Um, when I left school, um, I left school with the intention of not being a tool for white supremacy and um, finding out how I could serve my people, um, join the revolution. And at that point, um, my first mentor was George Edwards of the original New Haven Black Panther Party. Um, and I, after leaving New Haven, I went to Chicago. So when good brother um, uh, Kofi is talking about uh, National Black United Front and brother Conrad Worrell, I was living in Chicago in the um, uh, late 90s um, and was attending NBUF cultural events. I first joined in Cobra at that time under Baba Hannibal Afrique and Sister Erlene Arikpo. Um But at that time, I had become um, most inspired by the Rastafari movement that was in Chicago. And as a result, um, um, uh, I had become a devout Rastafarian. Um, I had went and lived in Ethiopia. I had worked at the African Union. And I um, just before I did that, um, I was working at the Nkrumah Washington Community Learning Center in Chicago on 51st and Ada. Uh, this was a remnant of the original National Conference of Black Lawyers Community College of Law and International Diplomacy that was set up by uh, Dr. Charles Knox of the Iowa Black Panther Party, uh, as well as Dr. Cly, who was one of Malcolm X's um, uh, best students who went on to be chairman of the Organization of African American Unity Canada chapter. These were my mentors, and at the time, and it's the late 1990s, um, they gave me my first assignment, which was to study the United Nations 1503 procedure um, and draft a petition on behalf of African American people under this 1503 procedure. And that's how I began my interest in international diplomacy on behalf of new African people and behalf of the entire African diaspora. Um, I have since then negotiated citizenship in at least five different African countries, made presentations at the African Union, the United Nations. Um, so that's just a little bit about my background. And um, my presentation today is going to be, uh, let's see, is it going to, having a little technical difficulty. Well, let me move my slide forward. Hold on one second. Let me come out and try it again. That's what Kofi had to do, go out and come back in. <laughs> yeah, let me let me come back in, try it one more time. Meanwhile, we're getting a lot of comments in the, the chat view. while he's doing that. Uh, people are telling us about the YouTube. I uh, 
we were having difficulty connecting to YouTube, uh, technical difficulty uh, earlier this morning. Uh, so what we will do is to this uh, YouTube, this Zoom presentation uh, teaching is being recorded. So we will have to upload it, uh, I guess, hopefully it'll be up. This broadcast is going to be going on until 9 a.m. So within the next 24 to 48 hours, we will have this video uploaded onto YouTube. Our attempts to go live uh, did not happen. So if you guys who are participating uh, and want to get your other folks involved, just send in the message. Just send in the Zoom link, uh, and they, they're going to have to watch by Zoom if they want to see it live. So we are, we apologize for that, but there's nothing we can do at this point. Black Power, go ahead, but the simple way it's still not sharing. All right, it, uh, can you see it? Yeah, it should be working now. No, it just says screen. I don't see it. It just says simple way it started screen sharing, but we're not uh, seeing anything. Do you see anybody else see anything? Okay, I see it now. We see the. It's showing on mine. Okay, you see it now. Oh, all right, so. I'm going to go through this fast. I will make my presentation available afterwards. Um, there's a lot of information. Um, but really, um, my presentation is about the Lincoln administration's recognition of new African rights under natural and international law, the 14th Amendment fraud, and the unfinished business of Malcolm X and Amari Obadeli. <clears throat> so... I want to begin with this question, um, and the question is, have the Afro-descendants or black folks now within the United States ever been converted in accordance with settled principles of universally established law into United States citizens and divested altogether of their original foreign African nationality? This is a question of extreme international legal importance for the global African reparatory justice movement. Um, answers to this question will provide the framework um, that we haven't been able to uh, invoke at the highest courts of the planet, uh, which is the ICJ and the um, ICC, International Court of Justice and International Criminal Court. Now, Back in 1841, in the decision in the United States for the, versus the libelance, the claims of the Schooner Amistad, that decision declared that as prisoners of war, we owe no allegiance to any nation's laws, and we retain the right to return to our ancestral homelands. In fact, that decision says that a formal Former domicile is not abandoned by residence in another if that residence be not voluntarily chosen. Those who are in exile or in prison, as they are never presumed to have abandoned all hope of return, retain their former domicile. So I want you to think back to that ancestor, either your maternal or paternal ancestor, the one that was captured you know, in their family territory. And as Malcolm X said, if we want to solve a problem, we have to go to the origin of the problem. And the origin of our problem began on the African continent when your ancestor was seized and captured against their will. And at that moment, they, may, they became a combatant in a war that was declared by the Pope on June 18, 1452. So they were trafficked as prisoners of war and 
we came here against uh, against our will. Now, now, President Lincoln at that time considered the, the the question of the rights of free Negroes, but still prisoners of war, um, their right to uh, return to their African territories and establish new governments. In fact, it was recognized by the Lincoln administration. Uh, in his first inaugural address, he said that um, to carry out the plan of colonization may involve the acquiring of territory and also the appropriation of money beyond that to be expended in the territorial acquisitions. And the question of our constitutional power to do so, meaning to either negotiate for return or set up independent colonies within the United States, he said the question of our constitutional power to do so is no longer an open question. And thus began the Lincoln's administrations reluctantly to make good on our internationally protected human rights. April 16, 1862, uh, the president signed an act that appropriated $600,000, which is the equivalent of about $18 million today, right, to recognize our right to return. The president had um, uh, was given the authorization to make provisions for the transportation, repatriation, and settlement of such persons of the African race made free by the provisions of this act. William Henry Seward, who was the... Um, Secretary of State um, began negotiations with foreign powers. And at that time, they were looking to negotiate 10 years treaties to be signed by the United States and the countries desiring immigration. The latter were required to give specific guarantees for the perpetual freedom, protection, and equal rights of the colonies and their descendants. Let me just stop here for a minute and say, okay, this is the same thing that we are trying to do now is to get the 55 member states of the African Union, right, the governments of the territories where our ancestors were taken from, to negotiate with the United States and other uh, enslaving, guilty uh, criminal powers, right, for our voluntary right to return for those who want it. I'm going to talk more about the actual effort that's underway to do that legally. Um, but I, I want to connect these two histories and make the point that before the 14th Amendment, the Lincoln administration was actually following Amara Obadeli's uh, point that we had four choices and that all of them um, were to be respected. Um, the president had came to the firm opinion that emigration must be voluntary and without expense to those who went. Now, uh, after, you know, a lot of people are familiar with the Emancipation Proclamation. We're celebrating Juneteenth. But before that were the Confiscation Acts of August the 6th, 1861, and July 17th, 1862. Um, and those acts created a new class of freemen that were not United States citizens. This class, um, as all of us who are students of Amara Obadeli understand, 
at that time, these new free men and women were left outside of the American political social community. They were free human beings with inalienable rights, but no recognized political rights within the United States. Okay? Um, with the Emancipation Proclamation, right, the pertinent words were that the people whereof shall then be in rebellion against the United States, or excuse me, all persons held as slaves within those territories shall then be thenceforward and forever free. And the executive government of the United States, including the military and naval authority thereof, will recognize and maintain the freedom of such persons and will do no act or acts to repress such persons or any of them in any efforts they may make for their actual freedom. Now, what was meant by freedom at that time? What was meant by liberty? Chief Justice Warren said that although the court has not assumed to define liberty with any great precision, that term is not confined to mere freedom from bodily restraint. Liberty under law extends to the full range of conduct which the individual is free to pursue, and it cannot be restricted except for a proper governmental objective. So at this time, from uh, the Confiscation Acts, the Emancipation Proclamation from between that time and the 14th Amendment, there were two separate communities, each with its own view of a proper governmental objective. The United States has its governmental objective, but we as free people had our own governmental objective, and so no decision could be made without the consent of these new free individuals. All of this great history for, June, for Juneteenth. So, above all, the right to liberty, inhering in the new class and its individual members, necessarily extended to political activity. And the most pressing political matter facing the new class was the matter of its future political construction and or future political relations. This meant that the liberty of the freed men and women extended to the right to seek admission as citizens to the American community, the right to return home to Africa, the right of liberty would extend to the right of general emigration to uh, a third party country, and not least of which the right um, to set up an independent state of its own. Okay? Now, on January 12, 1865, the United States Secretary of War Edwin McMaster Stanton and United States Army General William Tecumseh Sherman met in Savannah with a black government council consisting of 20 representatives of the new class of free persons. Garrison Fraser was chosen by the uh, persons present to express the common sentiments upon the matters of inquiry. Okay, so he was asked the questions, uh, what is the best way that the new class of freedmen and women can take care of themselves? And he answered, it is to have land. And he was asked, in what manner would you rather live, either scattered amongst the whites or in colonies by yourselves? And the answer was, in colonies by ourselves. So I want to make the point that at least here, from the very first ancestors who, stepped, who survived the Middle Passage and stepped off the slave ship, their first prayer According to them, reparatory justice reparations was real simple, 
right? We want to go back to where we came from. We want to go back to our homelands. That was the first uh, reparatory justice. By 1865, we made it known that if we can't go back, we want to live in our own independent, we want our own land and we want to live in our own independent uh, uh, um, colonies um, that would eventually become independence. Integration, citizenship was not on our agenda. That is not what we wanted, and that is not what we expressed to the government. Now, um, as a result of these negotiations, as most of us know, Sherman issued Special Field Order Number 15. Not only did we get the territories in the Carolinas, but we also got territories in um, Davis Bend, Mississippi. In fact, more people were resettled on that territory than were in the Carolinas. Um, so here then is the establishment of self-governing new African communities under the protection of the United States on land which the Americans claimed ultimate title to, but which they ceded to new Africans and were given possessory title. Okay? All of this is going to be relative to going to the International Court of Justice today. I'm going to get to that in a minute. Um, just as soon, this is the key part here. Just as soon as the United States government recognized the inalienable right of the new class to seek admission as citizens, our right of return, because uh, the Lincoln administration had already set up right, voluntary emigration with compensation, the Lincoln administration already set aside territory for us to set up our independent uh, territories. So the Lincoln administration was recognizing all of that. Just as soon, right, they murdered uh, assassinated President Lincoln, that was a coup. That was a takeover. And the day after President Lincoln's assassination on April 15th, President Andrew Johnson rescinded Field Order 15 and returned to Confederate owners the 400,000 acres of land. So we, you know, we haven't been taught history properly. There was a an illegitimate coup that took over the government that actually was recognizing our right to return, was willing to pay for our repatriation, and give us land and recognize our right to independence. What happened after that is what is known as the great fraud, right? In the final report of the United States Congress Joint Committee of 15, 18th June, 1866, they considered this difficult logistical problem, meaning you had all these free people that were in the South. And what they realized was now that we were no longer considered three-fifths human beings, now that we were counted as five-fifths human beings, that meant that the representation in the government from the southern Confederate states would increase. Now, if we weren't given the vote, that means that the southern Confederate states would get a greater share of the government but they were going to vote against all of the union proposals, et cetera, et cetera. So it was the union people, the abolitionists, all these people in the north that realized they were going to lose power. And so they came up with this plan that said, let us convince the, 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 the newly freed people that their only option is to become citizens. Otherwise, you're, you're destined for, for servitude. And we will remove the option of returning to your ancestral homeland under voluntary compensated emigration, and we're going to remove the option of setting up your own independent homeland. 
Thus, the American community reacting to its own need for black labor and reacting to what it believed to be a difficult logistical problem, reacting to a fear of increased political power for the Confederates, determined to limit the liberty of the new class of men in the political arena to the single option of United States citizenship. The 14th Amendment passed by Congress in June 1866 and ratified by the states in July of 1868 was then the consecration of a campaign of war and fraud by the American community against the new class, wrongfully and illegally to prevent the new class from exercising the full range of political liberty that belonged to it that was already recognized by the Lincoln administration. Now, I'm going to fast forward because um, uh, I don't have a whole lot of time left and I want to respect every, every, all the other presenters. Um, this was eventually called the fraud of the century, and we know it as, you know, um, what happened after so-called Reconstruction. What I want to get to is um, the work of Brother Malcolm and Amari and how that relates to today. Uh, Amari Obadeli had said the 14th Amendment is incorrectly read when it's um, as an offer of citizenship or excuse me, when it's, if it's read as a grant imposing citizenship and not an offer, um, an offer that we can vote uh, to accept or reject. Um, now, I happen to be uh, a member of ENCOBRA's Health Commission and its International Affairs Commission. Recently, we did a, the, the ENCOBRA Health Commission and Education Commission did a workshop entitled The Unfinished Business of Malcolm X and Amari Obadeli, Taking Our Claim to the International Court of Justice. Um, that presentation is available to, uh, for people to have, so I won't go through all of it, but just the important points were that when Malcolm talked about taking our case to the United Nations, and this was after, as Brother Kofi had already acknowledged, you know, we had W. E. Du Bois, we had William Patterson, we had Paul Robeson charge the United States with genocide in 1950. But after studying that, we realized that going to the Human Rights Commission um, doesn't have, it's not legally binding. Human Rights Commission and Human Rights uh, Declaration is policy. Um, the Human Rights Commission can't, it's not legally binding. And this is true with kind of all United Nations uh, uh, organs, which is uh, even if they were to substantiate our claims, how do you enforce them? That's always the problem. But Malcolm, um, when, he went, when he was talking about internationalizing our struggle and taking it to the United Nations, what a lot of people don't understand was he was specifically um, working to get countries in Africa to raise our case legally. And when he came back from his tr second trip in 1964, he was discussing with um, um, Gaidi Obadeli, uh, Mario Obadeli's brother, uh, in an interview. He said, several of the African nations promised official support and come the next session of the UN, any effort on our part to bring our problem before the UN, they will show us and how to bring it up legally. See, in the past, we have been making our case historically and morally, and we have done that for decades. 
We've provided them, you know, uh, um, Du Bois and Patterson documented all of the police brutality cases, the same ones that we're now sending information to the United Nations to now, George Floyd, you know, all of them, right? Um, we did that back in 1950. We're not doing anything new today by bringing these uh, violations of human rights to the Human Rights Commission. What Malcolm wanted to do was bring it before the International Court of Justice. And when he had succeeded in getting Burundi, Tanzania, and Kenya to bring the case before the court, um, two weeks later he was killed. Damn, uh, power. That's such a he was powerful, assassinated. That's a, such a powerful point. And I need you to, to, to push it as further as possible because the time is coming. But All right. I'll do it in five point. minutes. Uh, actually, five minutes. Not only was only got, you got two minutes. Go ahead. All right, two minutes. Not only was Malcolm uh, assassinated, um, his counterpart in Kenya, Pino Panto, uh, Pino Gin, I forget his name. He, he was the guy he was working with. He got assassinated, and the guy in Burundi also got assassinated. So um, ultimately, um, the United States government has already admitted in its response to Amara Obadeli's Article 3 brief, the United States government has already said that the question of our citizenship requires a decision upon the issue of whether black folks now within the United States have ever been converted in accordance with settled principles of universally established laws into United States citizens and divested altogether of our original foreign nationality. The United States government admits that that is a question it cannot solve, uh, answer in domestic court. So now we have to bring it into international court. And there is a movement today. This is the successor to the We Charge Genocide movement in the 1950s. It's the successor to MBUF's We Charge Genocide campaign um, uh, in the 80s and 90s. At this point, there's a new variable in the equation, which is the United Nations has established the permanent form of people of African descent, which allows us to um, access to the International Court of Justice under Chapter 4, Article 65, which gives the court the power to answer any legal question put to it. And so in December of this past year, one minute, one minute, one minute. No, 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 no. Yeah. Actually, Actually, I stand corrected. The brother's presentation was an hour. You actually have 30 more minutes. My Fantastic. Uh -huh. Thank you. Thank you so much. So let, me, Go ahead, let me back up a minute. <laughs> let me back up a minute, okay? I'm, I'm not a morning person. So, I'm sorry. <laughs> Malcolm was trying to do this legally. He was tired of making the historic appeal and the moral appeal. He was like, how do we hold them legally accountable? Okay? And I would also want to remind people that Malcolm said, right, that our long-term goal was citizenship in Africa. He said oh. 22 million so-called Negroes should be separated completely from America and should be permitted to go back home to our African homeland, which is a long-range pro program. In the short range, we still have to live here. We have to eat. We have to sleep. We need clothes, right? So though all, although our long-range political philosophy is to migrate back to our African homeland, our short-range program must involve that which is necessary to enable us to live a better life while we're still here. But that was 60 years ago, exactly 60 years ago. So the 
the question is, is like, what did he mean by long range? Did he mean 20 years, 30 years, 40 years? Like, how long is long enough? Now, Amara Obadeli was telling us and showing us that the mechanical steps to our independence and to our repatriation began with, right, a petition drive, an education campaign where we had to teach the things that I'm teaching now that we weren't taught Teach what, um, the, teach what our international status, our status under international law is, and how to use the legal mechanisms to affect self-determination. He said, right, the key to, for the key to our legitimacy is consent, and a specific campaign must be conducted to make them and concurrently the world see that our cause is just under moral law and correct under international law, and that the law of the United States is deficient and failing to provide a peaceful formula for the separation of communities seeking their independence. The essential strategy of our people for land is to array enough power to force the greatest power, the United States, to abide by international law. So whether we like it or not, despite the fact that we know that international law is still colonial law, still neocolonial law, right, we were still to use that forum as part of our strategy, okay? Um, and again, Amara Obadeli, you know, in his case against the United States, the Article 3 briefs in 1973, he put the questions to the government and the government admitted that our status as citizens is still undetermined, and that can only be answered in, according to universal principles of universally established law, meaning it has to be uh, – it can't be done in a domestic court because domestic law is not universal. It's biased towards, you know, the rulers of the United States. So what are we getting at here? The matter of our conversion is the substantive issue to be taken up at the International Court of Justice. A valid and legitimate question is, what is our status under international law? And then the immediate follow-up question is, how was or is this status determined? An honest assessment of the second question will show that any such status was obtained without the informed consent of our people and thus invalidates the answer to the first question. Okay, our strategy, again, should be to provoke the United Nations through the International Court of Justice to make an advisory judgment on our status and force it to the conclusion that our status cannot be determined under the spirit and letter of the UN Charter, Article 76, and principles of international law without conducting a plebiscite. And everyone coming out of the Black Panther Party camp, knows that that is what uh, was part of the original Black Panther Party uh, platform, was conducting a UN-sponsored plebiscite. Everyone coming out of the Republic of New Africa obviously knows that was a major part of, um, uh, of the Republic of New Africa and the New African Independence Movement, right, building on the shoulders of the unfinished business of Malcolm X. The question and the answer hinges upon Right? The reparatory justice questions and all the questions related to reparation depend upon our status as prisoners of war under the Geneva Convention and our status as an internal or domestic colony of the United States. 
both require a historic and legal review. Now, we have already initiated that review. Many groups have been doing that for decades. We have taken all of their work, compiled it, and have now figured out because of this new opportunity with the permanent form of people of African descent, um, we need to understand that in Malcolm and Amari's day, the only way to get to the International Court of Justice was you had to have a nation state initiate a claim, a case. That was both costly politically and financially. And even to this day, nobody wants to risk bringing a case with no solid um, legal um, provisions for them to win a case for our reparatory justice. Even African governments aren't going to be, want to do this because now you're threatening all of, you know, they're neo-colonial puppets, the vast majority of them, perhaps the exception of Uganda and, and Zimbabwe. Um, you know, they have ties to the United States and Europe, and they're going to lose all kind of funding, and they're, they're the puppet master. So they're really hesitant to do this. The only way for us to get to the International Court of Justice right now is to go through this permanent form of people of African descent. Okay? And so we understand the legal limits of the international world order. Right. Nothing written is valid between enemies. Right. The father of international law, uh, uh, European international law, Hugo Groetjes wrote this in 1604. Right. And we understand that real politics is not a parlor game. It's entirely acceptable, acceptable to practice, but never to admit deceit. That's part of their rules. Right. To practice deceit, but never admit it. So we understand that's the game being played at the international legal level. We don't expect uh, anything from them. In fact, the Black Liberation Army in 1975 told us, law is never impartial, never divorced from the economical relationships that brought it about. History clearly shows that in the course of the development of modern Western society, the code of law is the code of the dominant and most powerful class made into laws for everyone. It is implemented and established by special armed organs that are ob obliged to enforce the prevailing class laws. In this historical period of human social development, such is the objective function of law. We, therefore, do not view the law of our class enemies as valid, nor do we feel restricted in struggles to his laws. Black power, free the land, absolutely. Okay? Even though, with that understanding, the Provisional Government, Republic of New Africa, 1986, 1986 stated, today we have international law on our side, right? The international law supports our right to an independent new African nation state. The international law also stands for the fact that we have a right to be U.S. citizens. We are not United States citizens now and cannot be until and unless we exercise our right of choice. Before we can exercise the right of choice, we must know that we have it. We have to be properly informed. And those of us in our conscious communities, we know that the vast majority of our people, we don't understand this yet. For the most part, our people have never been taught about this right of choice, about the right of self-determination, or how to use it, how to go about it. Okay, so. Dr. Y.N. Clyde who was one of Malcolm's great students, who went on to be chairman of the Organization of African American Unity Canada chapter, basically laid it out for us. 
and because he was such a good student of Malcolm's, this is why Dr. Cly specialized in studying international law and how to apply it to us. He said, today, there is no other mechanism in existence which permits a group to internationalize their struggle except the UN. All minority movements go there, if for no other reason than the UN is the crossroads where the world meets and makes decisions which come to represent the moral and legal authority of world opinion. As a pivotal arena of public opinion and thereby political power, the UN forces states to be concerned about its views. No state nor indeed any serious liberation movement questions its values. Because, you know, a lot of us, we do question its value. We've been like, hey, we've been going to the United Nations since the 1950s, even before that, because Garvey was going to the League of Nations um, during the Paris Peace Talks in 1919. So we've been going to the League of Nations since 1919. We've been going to the United Nations since 1950, since its founding. And yet, even though everybody knows that what happened to our ancestors and after is a crime against humanity, right, even though the whole world knows this, why has nobody been held accountable and why have we received no reparatory justice from the international level? So we don't expect anything to come from the United Nations in that order. But there is some strategic value in using this as a strategy. First and foremost, UN Charter Article 96 states, Right. The General Assembly or the Security Council may request the International Court of Justice to give an advisory opinion on any legal question. Other organs of the United Nations and specialized agencies, which may at any time be so authorized by the General Assembly, may also request advisory opinions of the court on legal questions arising within the scope of its activities. Okay, if you go to the um, statutes of the International Court of Justice under Chapter 4, Article 65, it says the court may give an advisory opinion on any legal question at the request of whatever body may be authorized. Okay, questions upon the advisory opinion of the court shall be laid before the court by means of a written request containing an exact statement of the questions. All right, once we learn that, we also learned that on August 2nd, 2021, the General Assembly adopted Resolution 75314, in which it former, formally operationalized the Permanent Forum on People of African Descent, or PFAD as we call it, as a consultative mechanism for people of African descent. Not only that, Resolution 75314, uh, establishing PFAD, emphasized the opportunity for implementing the Durban Declaration and Program of Action, which in Section 104 states, right, we also strongly reaffirm as a pressing requirement of justice that victims of human rights violations resulting from racism, racism racial discrimination, xenophobia, all of that, should be assured of having access to justice, including legal assistance, where appropriate. Not only that, this is the key point. Resolution 75314 further emphasizes that the Permanent Forum can request the preparation and dissemination of information by the United Nations system on issues relating to people of African descent. For the first time since Malcolm and, and Amari's times, because of that 
uh, statement in the resolution, we now have the right to go to the ICJ. Now, the International Court of Justice, right, um, let's get to the question. That's the important part. Okay, so as soon as the permanent form was operationalized at the first session in December of December 6, 2022, I took the floor and I said, we call on this forum to vigorously request an advisory opinion from the International Court of Justice on our status as prisoners of war under the Geneva Convention, as well as our right to conduct plebiscites for self-determination, including the right to secede from the jurisdictions of colonial successor states in the Western Hemisphere and form our own independent governments. At that moment, on behalf of people of African descent, I invoked the mandate given to PFAD to request the preparation and dissemination of information by the United Nations system on issues relating to people of African descent. So we invoked it on the floor. Okay. Not only did we invoke it on the floor, um, after that, we started a campaign that um, drafted a mandate for the forum to exercise their right um, to go to the International Court of Justice. It was signed by 248 individuals and organizations, including at least four lawyers, four professors, seven members of national reparatory justice commissions, so like the National Reparations Commission of Barbados, the National Reparations Commission of Guyana, um, several and COBRA members signed it, um, people throughout the world, 248 sent this mandate to the president of the PFAD saying that we want you to exercise your mandate and, answer the follow and, and request answers to the following questions. Question number one. Is the Dom Diversus Apostolic Decree issued by Pope Nicholas V on June 18, 1452, a declaration of total war, which means warfare that includes any and all civilian associated resources and infrastructure as legitimate military targets, mobilizes all of the resources of society to, to fight the war, and gives priority to warfare over non-combatant needs? Total war, therefore, is a war crime and a crime. Is it a war crime and a crime against humanity? Is there a statute of limitation regarding reparations for this war crime and crime against humanity? So again, to make it simple, total war is a category of war that um, where uh, there is no distinction made between combatants and civilians. Okay, that's what total war is. There's no distinctions between soldiers and civilians. Now, let's take a look at this. On June 18, 1452, Pope Nicholas V issued the Dumb Diversus um, declaring total war. And in that, it says we grant full and free power through the apostolic authority by this edict. Apostolic authority means we're the representatives of Jesus Christ on the earth, and so therefore, by the authority of Jesus Christ, we have the power to go into all your duchies, royal palaces, principalities, dominions, lands, places, estates, camps, other possessions, mobile and immobile, take all your goods, and then the important part, and to lead the per their persons in perpetual servitude. And we grant this power to you, the king of Portugal. 
This is the actual start of the slave trade. This is how it started. It started by an actual declaration of war that is in the category of total war, which means it didn't distinguish between civilians and combatants, which means your ancestor, when they were captured in this war, is a prisoner of war, and therefore – Right, You, as their descendant, since you have yet to be released and returned under the Geneva Convention, you still retain the status as prisoner of war. That's what our scholars have determined. Black power. Okay? Uh, this talks about the details about war crimes and crimes against humanities, which have already, the Durban, World Conference Against Racism, the Durban Declaration already declared that. So we already know the answer to the question, but we want the highest court on the planet to be, to, to answer the question, either yay or nay, so that we can understand, can we expect justice from the highest court of the planet or not? And if the answer is no, then that lets us know we are well within our rights, within natural law, right, to take action accordingly. Question B, were the people captured as a result of the Dumda versus Apostolic Decree prisoners of war, and do their descendants retain the status until their final release and repatriation under the Geneva Convention? We know the answer to that, too. We've studied the law. Okay, we're not going to them asking them to give us answers that we already know. The Geneva Convention literally says in Article 5, the present convention shall apply to the persons referred to in Article 4, which defines prisoners of war. It shall uh, apply to them from the time they fall into the power of the enemy until their final release and repatriation. This goes back to the first part of my presentation. Our release was the Confiscation Acts and the Emancipation Proclamation. That was our release, but it wasn't final because we were never given a plebiscite where we were able to be informed and make an informed choice on one of those four options. So we've been released, but it's never been final. And of course, all of you who are still in the land of your captivity, you know you haven't been repatriated yet if you want it. So under the Geneva Convention, yes, we retain the, 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 the classification as prisoner of war. Okay. Uh, I want to be quick here so I can wrap it up. Again, I'll make the presentation um, uh, available to everyone because there's a lot of information in it. Um, again, the final questions. Have the Afro-descendants, black folks, now within the United States, ever been converted in accordance with these international principles into United States citizens, and have we ever been divested, right, of our original foreign African nationality, okay? Um, so these are the questions that we have drafted in a formal, um, a formal request that we have given to the permanent form of people of African descent. And... Um, Two days ago, the president of the Permanent Forum indicated, uh, told me that she is planning to sign the request to the ICJ, and for the first time in history, the international court is going to have to answer these questions. Now, if they substantiate our claims, this gives nations the signal that if you bring a case to the international court, there, you now can expect that if it's brought under the Geneva Convention, that the court, that there's something for you to stand on. So now what we are attempting to do, uh, when I say we, 
there's a whole movement um, that goes under the uh, African uh, diaspora sixth region that is being recognized by the African Union. Uh, I happen to be the coordinator for the 8th Pan-African Congress that has been um, called by Her Excellency, the former AU Ambassador to the United States, Her Excellency Ambassador Arakana Chief Homebori Kwao. Many of you may remember she was the fiery defender of our people um, who was fired from the AU from hold, trying to hold France and the other colonizers responsible for their continuing um, uh, neo-colonial uh, policies uh, and the Berlin Conference uh, policies. She has con called and convened the German going live at once. This is the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag. Hefty, hefty, hefty! Ah, <sighs> smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm & Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash... Hmm. You can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for bigger jobs, try the superior strength of hefty large black bags. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.